0: Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry.
1: Hello, everybody. It's Upworthy Weekly, and I'm Todd Perry, a staff writer at Upworthy. And I'm here with the great Allison Rosen. You know her from the super popular Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend podcast, and Childish with her co host, Greg Fitzsimmons. You've heard her on The Adam Carolla Show, which she co-hosted for four years, and seen her on, as we went through last week, numerous television appearances over the years.
0: Yeah, don't be leaving out my credits. You know, I, look, you, I'm, I'm at an advanced age now, and yet still somehow young and an ingenue, and uh, there's lots of credits. Like I said, I was an extra in some movies. That's about it. And, no, there's and, other stuff.
1: And then there was also, what people really know you from is you were in It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, Bye Bye Birdie, uh, oh, yeah. Cannonball Run and Two, which is one of the mm-hmm. rare things where most people, they they only knew you are in Cannonball Run One, but uh, you were the rare person besides maybe Dom DeLuise that did both films, which is uh
0: Yes, that does come up at those conventions that I'm frequently at, signing old pictures of me. I was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, I was in Annie Get Your Gun, HMS Pinafore, Pirates of Penzance, all the gr- Sunday in the Park with George. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum. All the greats I've been in, starred in.
1: It's so amazing, and I know that normally. They put you right next to Burt Ward from the Batman series that usually you guys get along real well at all these, you Mm -hmm. know, Hollywood forever signing events uh, that you do at the uh, Sherman Oaks Galleria. (laughs) And uh, so how's Burt doing? I heard his health wasn't that great, but
0: it's a tough time for Burt. We all we're all pulling for Burt. It's been a bit of a tough time for him, but I think 2022 is going to be his year.
1: Well, enough about us.
0: We need to explain that 94% of that was made up. Because I know someone's going to be like, I love Bye Bye Birdie. Who were you? (laughs) So I have not had the pleasure of being in Bye Bye Birdie. Speaking of that,
1: uh, to delay the beginning of the actual show once, (laughs) I think you're right in that I once was, I wrote this ad campaign when I was working in advertising, in radio advertising for a mortgage company. And the whole bit of the mortgage company, Spots where there was a guy Scott Brown that owned the company, and then his mother, who was kind of this, you know, this older woman. Oh, Scotty, she would she would talk with him, and it's like it made him seem really trustworthy. It's like I'm Scott Brown, and this is my mother. Mm-hmm. Well, at, I wrote a line at the end of the ad, which was Scott Brown's mother says, "When can I see my grandkids?" She's innocuous, so I thought. Yeah, but oh. then Scott Brown's like. We can't do that line in the ads anymore. And I said, why? He goes, I have old women actually calling up the phone number of the mortgage company saying it's really wrong and abusive <laughs> to his mother that he's keeping the grandchildren away from her.
0: So, Oh, wow. Yeah. So you it, never so know. People, people they get pe- invested.
1: Yeah, People believe uh, what they hear.
0: But why wasn't he letting his sweet poor mother see those grandkids?
1: If you met her, you'd know.
0: Well, okay, we have so much show to get to, but just real fast, I want to check in with your self-appointed nickname, King of Good News. Are you going to do that this year? We're in a fresh new year. Is that still where you're headed?
1: Well, my thing is I threw it out there, and I'm just waiting for the world to respond and for it to get (laughs) traction, right? Like (laughs) It's kind of like I set the trap, right? I set the honeypot. And now mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for the whole world to come back and just start naturally referring it to me if I keep going it's gonna seem desperate um, right. so I think that you know once people like you just referred to me as it right then and there um, yeah. so that that'll keep it going a little bit uh, I'm sure iTunes reviews will start rolling in where people refer to me as the king of good news so I'm just right. I'm, not, I'm not flogging it right now but I'm still open to it and excited when I hear people reference it
0: see, I feel like you got a healthy perspective about this nickname. This this. I was going to say ridiculous, but it feels wrong to start the year punching down already. So I'm going to say an eccentric nickname. I think you have a good attitude about. No, that sounds worse. Anyway, well, you know, here's I hope thing. that it catches on
1: it's It's rare that people who refer to themselves at royal as royalty have a healthy attitude with it. but <laughs> right. I, let me be the one <laughs> that breaks the mold.
0: Yes, I like that. It's unique. What do we got, Allison? Okay, well, uh story here about therapists. Therapists reveal 21 things people are usually afraid to tell them, but actually hear a lot. And this story is by Jissa Joseph, and it ran on Wednesday. So there was a prompt to therapists, like, what are some things that uh, people, you know, your clients think are weird, but that you actually hear all the time? So here's, uh, and here's, here's they, they collected in the story, the, the top 21 are collected, but I'm not going to read all 21. Um, some things came up repeatedly. Uh, and it's pretty interesting. Let me first just ask you, Todd, what is your relationship with therapy?
1: I've been to therapy probably, I guess, two or three times in my life, in my adult life. Mm-hmm. And then right before I got married, I had marriage counseling, which kind of marriage therapy with my wife, just to make sure that we could, you know, get into it, you know, firing on all cylinders. So. Right. Yeah, I'm very positive about therapy. Uh, of recent, I thought maybe I should go back in for a little tune-up.
0: I've thought that too about you.
1: What? Oh yeah, that I needed. Th- yeah, thank kidding. you, thank you. Can I can I use your therapist if you have them? And then you know.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've already told them so much about you. So. Are they go- oh, that's oh, who you- that guy. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, and, I think it's pretty. Oh, go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah, I was just saying in your your relationship to therapy, right? You've been in therapy multiple yeah, times.
0: Yeah. So I. St- I started therapy when I was in college. Um, I was in a relationship that most people would have said was not particularly healthy, not abusive, just not not a great relationship. Um, and my dad actually said to me, I think it might help you to talk to someone. And I remember feeling very um, hurt by that, even though it's like one of the most... Uh, pivotal things he probably ever said to me because it helped me so much so I got into therapy um while I was in college and then uh stopped and then went and then I've kind of uh I I went back when uh there was a a friend of mine died and so I went Mm. back to that same therapist um and then in like and then when I moved to New York I wasn't in therapy and then i found a therapist there and then moved back and then wasn't in therapy. And then now I've been in therapy since about five months after my first son was born. And personally, I feel like it's helped me so much, so much. Um, But I totally get the idea of feeling, especially at the beginning, feeling nervous about disclosing certain things to your therapist because you think, they'll judge you or this is weird or all these things. So anyway, here, here are some of the the things that therapists say their clients are nervous to tell them. Um, so a a therapist says unwanted intrusive thoughts are normal and do not mean you're a bad person. Over 90% of people have them. I didn't realize it was that high. That's pretty comforting. Uh, Clients are fearful of admitting they weren't successful after the last session. So let's say a therapist offered some coping mechanisms or gave them homework. Uh, Clients, if they didn't put that into practice, they'll be nervous. Um, Just a little story about my husband that's not really my business to share, but I think it would be okay. He went to a therapist for a period of time and then stopped seeing that therapist. And then a couple years later, some of the same stuff was coming up. And he didn't want to go back to that therapist because he felt embarrassed about the fact that it's like he, he's kind of still in the same place with some of this stuff. And I felt like, but that's what therapy's for. Right? Like, that's so common. Um, yeah, and lots uh, of times
1: people come up with big psychological things that are difficult to mm-hmm. fix. I mean, it's the reason why people go there in the first place because they have a big problem. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's not like fixing a broken bone, which is, you mm-hmm. know, you get in there, you fix it, and you should be good unless you're like, oh, I played basketball on my cast. You know, uh, these things are much more <laughs> subtle and and right. difficult to to, to repair. You know?
0: I've definitely felt that way about stuff that I feel like has been kind of this recurring theme throughout my therapy of, like, I, how am I still talking about this? How is it this again? And then my therapist will say it's, but every time you revisit, it's with a bit of growth and it's a chance to like refine it. You're not in the same place, but it feels like it. It feels like, oh my God, like when am I going to stop talking about this thing from my childhood or whatever? Um, uh, Another one, a therapist says that a common one is people believing there's something innately irreparably wrong about them that makes them unable to ever truly fit in. I totally mm. get that one. Here's a sad one. Uh, as someone in the substance abuse field, I know that it's difficult for clients to tell me they got high with a parent, but it's something I get told fairly regularly. Ooh. That one made me take a take a deep breath. Like, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, and the fact that it it happens regularly,
0: commonly, I know, I know. Um, they uh, clients are hesitant to say that they haven't had sex with their partner in years, and that they don't see themselves like they don't know how they would have sex with their partner again. Um, uh, Women feel really ashamed to tell their therapist that they're burnt out on being a parent. Mm. And then another one uh, that I thought was interesting. uh, People are hesitant to say that they don't know what they enjoy doing. Like oftentimes they'll have people in their life, including their therapist say things like try to do something fun today or what do you like to do when you have free time Um, But when this particular therapist explains that they don't like those kind of questions because oftentimes people don't know, they find that their client relaxes because that's like a common thing in therapy, someone feeling like, I don't really know what I like to do for fun. I personally like to look at Twitter, but I get (laughs) that other people don't have those kind of passions. Well,
1: it's a very healthy way to spend your day, just doom scrolling. I, uh,
0: I like to look at Twitter and I like to get angry at people I don't know and I like to provoke them. No, that's what other, I think that's what other people feel about me. I like to get provoked is what I mean to say.
1: <laughs> so you're on the, uh, the, the the BD or the SM of the Twitter spectrum?
0: Oh, I guess I'm sort of, I'm like the M of the SM with Twitter. Yes, it, well, it is. I mean, and people have actually said that, like, this, you're a masochist. Why are you doing this? I'm like, I don't know. Someday I'll change someone's mind. I don't know.
1: Have you talked to your therapist about your Twitter
0: problem? Yes, I have. Um, And I think I told you, and if she listens to this, I love you. You've helped me immensely. However, she said, and I was like, I can't believe how much I'm paying for this. She said, (laughs) haters going to hate. That's a Taylor Swift lyric. She's like, haters going to hate. Like, oh, come on. Don't we have something more than this? (laughs) You know, but I like it when it comes from someone professional
1: versus, yeah. you know, Taylor Swift, but, you know, maybe she was really <laughs> tapping into the collective subconscious with that song, and that's right. why everybody relates to it.
0: And then my therapist also said, "Don't read the comments. Comments make you crazy." I was like, "This all is this a Taylor Swift song too?"
1: That does sound like a Taylor Swift song, "Don't read the comments." And that's there's something very empowering about not reading the the comments. What I take from that list, there is mm-hmm. There, there are many things on there that make me feel good about myself being there, like, Oh good. Intrusive thoughts. Everybody has mm-hmm. those. Uh, cause I have them. And sometimes I have terribly awful thoughts. Uh, those.
0: Yeah. I mean, I didn't read the whole list, but it's very, uh, you know, thoughts of harming someone else thoughts of like, could I be a serial killer? <laughs> it's I, I'm sorry. I laugh, which is the opposite point of this story. Uh, I think I laugh just because it's it's so dark. But apparently those are pretty common thoughts people have. And if you're in therapy discussing the thoughts that that doesn't that means you're not going to do it.
1: Well, you know, I think Dr. Drew once said something pretty great that I always kind of keep in my back pocket. And he's like, you are what you do. Mm. You can't. You are. Oh, what, yes. Y- you aren't what you believe. You aren't what you think. In the end, you are just what you actually do. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people out there with terrible beliefs that actually don't do anything or they're not, they don't act on them or whatever or, right. or terrible thoughts. But in the end, we can judge ourselves by what we actually put out in the world in which we actually you know, physically do um, mm-hmm. and that thoughts. And There's a great book called The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know. Yes. That's I have what- not
0: read it, but I've heard of it.
1: Yes, that is one of the most life changing books I ever read because it teaches you that like you're constantly just having thoughts bubble up and you don't need to take them seriously, Uh, like you don't need to bite. And that thoughts are just suggestions; Mm -hmm. they're not actually like concrete things, and they're not actually you. It's just you've got this constant percolating thing called the, I guess the Buddhists call it the monkey mind, and you don't have to pay attention to it. And through meditation, you can learn how to actually control it and just wipe them out. Patton Oswalt friends were upset he performed with Dave Chappelle. His response? Perfection. And this is by Annie Renault. So, everybody knows Patton Oswalt, the comedian? Yes? Everybody out there? I think
0: so. He was the voice of Ratatouille.
1: That's right. And he, he also starred with you in Cannonball Run, too.
0: Yes, yes. Oh, my old friend Patton. I was sad to see the kerfuffle that he found himself in recently. <laughs> and it, it's a.
1: He had to know. <laughs> Uh, You know, if anybody knows the way the Internet acts, it's Patton Oswalt.
0: Yes. You know, yeah.
1: So Oswalt shared a series of photos with Dave Chappelle in Seattle on New Year's Eve. He had been performing in downtown Seattle when he got a text from Chappelle to join him at his show just a block away. Chappelle has long been known for pushing the social envelope with his comedy and created some controversy for himself, especially with his recent Netflix special when he tackled the issue of transgender rights in a way that felt harmful to many trans people and allies. Patton Oswalt has been seen as an outspoken ally for the LGBT community, so seeing him celebrate sharing the stage with Chappelle was jarring for some fans. They made their feelings known, which prompted a response from Oswalt. And this is him. I won't do an impersonation. (laughs) 34 years we've been friends. He refocused and refined ideas a lot of us took as settled about race and history and life on planet Earth and spun them around with a phrase or a punchline. We've done bad and good gigs, open mics and TV tapings, but we also 100% disagree about transgender rights and representation. I support trans rights and anyone's rights to live safely in the world as their fullest selves. For all the things he's helped me evolve on, I always disagree with where he stands now on transgender issues. But I also don't believe a seeker like him is done evolving and learning. You know, you know someone that long, see the struggles and changes, it's impossible to cut them off. Impossible not to be hopeful and open and cheer them on. Also, I've been carrying a lot of guilt about friends I've cut off, who've had views which I don't agree with, or changed in ways that I couldn't live with. Sometimes I wonder, did I and others cutting them off make them dig in their heels deeper, fuel their mm. ignorance with a nitro boost of resentment and spite? So yes, it was a very thoughtful response that he gave, and and also he did end it with one thing I found a little annoying. He did the "I'm still learning," which <laughs> I feel has become a bit of a apology cliche these days. right It's a
0: platitude.
1: Yes, it maybe you know when it first came out about four years ago is ooh okay mm-hmm. let's hold yeah. off
0: on judgment
1: still learning, still learning, you know?
0: still evolving.
1: But there was a big sign on my high school wall in the gymnasium that said "cease to learn when you cease to live."
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, you yeah. know, and
1: and and Patton Oswalt is dropping the uh, a slogan from the North High School gym wall here, um, <laughs> but like. So the response to this was Annie Renault. I I'm, I'm reading this mostly cuz I really loved Annie's response and her upro- very upworthy take on this controversial issue of what what do you do with friends who you don't dis- you don't agree with on important issues. Mm-hmm. And Annie wrote Annie wrote I'm not here to defend Dave Chappelle nor am I here to defend Patton Oswalt. I'm here to defend the idea that people who consider themselves friends can have wildly different beliefs can disagree vehemently with one another on really important issues, can debate and fight over such things, and still see value in one another in their relationship. Everyone makes different choices about what and who they support, as well as why and how, but those choices are rarely as simple as to make them as we make them out to be.
0: Like, I think it's pronounced vehemently, and you disagree and think it's vehemently.
1: I've never, like, heard anybody use the word. I've just read the word, you know?
0: I think it's vehemently, but we can still be friends. Vehemently. I think you said vehemently.
1: Vehemently. I like that too. I I think we're going to have to put this to our uh, listeners.
0: <laughs> Take a poll. Um, do you think the king of good news pronounced vehemently correctly? Or the one who doesn't have a title but an illustrious Broadway career that no one's heard about? Uh, I, yeah, I really like her point. I, this whole thing is... Um, It's so it's so touchy and it's so hard right now. Um, But I really like the idea of not shunning lifelong friends because you disagree with them. And I do and I don't know the answer, but I do as well wonder when you cut off a friend because they hold a belief that you don't agree with. Does that sort of what, what did he say? Like given a given a nitro blast to the because then they start thinking like wow people with my beliefs really are being persecuted, Uh and it does seem to like turbocharge their move to the right.
1: You went very specific on the political direction here. <laughs> I
0: did, I did, or the or left, or yeah. straight forward, or behind any direction, directly towards the center. Uh- <laughs> It really turbocharges their move toward more popular, neutral thoughts on things.
1: You know, I think that um, also staying in those people's lives gives them a reminder that maybe they might be wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, and also to me, if maybe I'm wrong about something and someone doesn't like me for holding that viewpoint, uh, me being around them might make me think, well, this reasonable person that I like feels differently. And it might make me more willing to accept their viewpoint or to rethink Mm -hmm. things, because I think it makes people really uncomfortable when someone that they know and like feels something different about 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 something and they want to write that they they don't want that uh, Mm -hmm. cognitive dissonance with that person.
0: Totally,
1: and I think over the last couple of years, I've run into this in many different situations with people that I like. That I'm like, oh my god, how do you support that? You know, mm-hmm.
0: and I right. kind of like, why are you, why are you posting QAnon memes? Are you aware those are QAnon memes? What's going on? I've had that experience. Oh, really? A little bit, yeah. Not with people that I'm super close with, but people that are sort of in my extended friend group, friend group in Orange County where I grew up, and then you don't I just say. Wonder... <laughs> It's surprising, right, Orange County? Tell me more about these Orange
1: County QAnon people.
0: (laughs) Um, but I just wonder, and I'm sorry, this is this sounds it sounds like I'm being judgmental, and I probably am. But I wonder, are they dabbling, or have they gone? Are they fully immersed in that world? You know, and should I distance myself? Like all these thoughts. Look, I'm admitting all the stuff that therapists say people are afraid to admit. Good. You know, I,
1: so I, I agree with you, and I think I've come to peace about the issue just kind of thinking about it a lot over the last, I don't know, year or so. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came up to it with a basic kind of rubric to which I see these things. And it was like, A, like there's nobody on earth that thinks exactly like I do, right? Like there's mm-hmm. something fundamental I'm going to disagree with just about everybody on, whether it's political, right. whether it's religious, whether... Um, How to
0: best meditate,
1: whether it's you know is Mariah C- Carey's Christmas music good or is it trash? Uh, uh, yeah, that I almost. ended. I think we know the answer to that. Uh, that. Oh my god, that almost ended this show. You know, uh, <laughs> and then and that's so that's one thing. I'm not going to agree with everybody on anything, regardless. And so I should not search for that. And then B is Dr. Carl Totten, who I do the "What's This Dow All About" podcast with. He always says, "As we used to say in the '70s, where are you coming from?" <laughs> And and I think that and it's sometimes like somebody may have a different view of mine and it may not be because they're hateful or it, it could be because they just misunderstand the issue or they don't really care that much about it and they just have a simple simplistic opinion on it. But it could be mm-hmm. something I care deeply about and I've invested a lot into. So it, I, I get upset much more so and they, they just kind of have an offhand of, uh, thought about it. And mm-hmm. then finally, I think the the key thing is are they obnoxious or antagonizing about their
0: belief? Yes.
1: Like if you disagree on something and they need to keep bringing it up and fighting with you about it, then that person is not being your friend. They're being an antagonist mm-hmm. and they're they're not they're not on your side regardless of what the issues are. So, and that and when it comes to that, that's a person I think you need to tell the kick rocks.
0: And I will say since I took a shot at one side of the polit- political spectrum earlier, just to level it out, uh, some people with whom I most likely agree on the left can be quite obnoxious and antagonizing with their thoughts. We've talked before about that Facebook group that I am still a member of, the Sanctimonious Moms of L.A. Again, that's not their real name, but it should be. They are all an example of that. Like They will bludgeon you with their progressive thoughts and how open-minded slash closed-minded they truly are and it is a sight to see and these are the type
1: of people are usually like if you're kind of good on something they're still against you because you're not perfect on it
0: exactly they you're always learning (laughs) and they're going to tell you what you need to learn even though they're always learning too
1: so i um i there's a quote by Oscar Wilde that I always love when it comes to how we kind of define our friendships and judge who we choose to associate with. And it may be a little nihilistic, but I think it's a it's good. And he says, I don't judge people on whether they're good or bad, but rather, are they charming or tedious? (laughs) So like and then I started thinking there's like everybody exists to me on a spectrum of on one end, it's charming and on one end, it's tedious. Some people are like 100% tedium all day mm-hmm. long, right? it yes. doesn't matter if it's somebody you agree with on things or whatever, they're just tedious. Some people are like pure charm and even if you don't agree with everything in the world, they're a pleasure to be around um, and that's on one end. And so I always I always think in my head I'm like, "Oh, so and so's like seven charming, three tedious." Or, so, or certain persons like eight tedious too charming and that helps me kind of define who people are in my own mind
0: oh my god this is fascinating where where am i i dare find out do i dare find out 10 is if you're 10 charming then you're like the most charming person in the whole world right you're like pete davidson you know what does that mean no one knows what that means it just means i'm dating attractive women I mean, that's what everybody would say. Oh, I'm when super charming. Have... Oh, yeah, no, i super no, that, charming.
1: I was talking about Pete Davidson. You said, what would a 10 be? And I said a 10 would be Pete Davidson. Oh,
0: I and I, be, being uh, self-centered, I guess, totally took that to mean you're saying I'm like Pete Davidson. Okay, I understand. A 10 is Pete Davidson on the charming. Got it. Okay, yeah. so where am I?
1: And then being, uh, what was that term you just used? self um, self, Centered? Se- Yeah, self-centered is a tedious uh, quality. Right. right. So obviously you can't be 100% charm because you are, oh, no. you know, so you, you just kind of move down a little bit oh, to a, to at least a 9 on the charm, right?
0: Well, I mean, I can accept that. Like a, a, a I, na- it's room for <laughs> room an, for improvement.
1: A 9-1. <laughs> but I, you haven't, you know, been around long enough. We haven't done this show long enough for me to officially give you a rating. So I'm still tabulating before we okay. get to like a hard number. And once I realize it's something that's completely not intractable, you know.
0: It is intractable or it's not intractable. uh, And also I'm forgetting what intractable means. Intractable means it it can't change, right? Okay,
1: so being pedantic is a a tedious quality. (laughs) So
0: therefore now you're like (laughs) an eight and a two. Oh my God. This is like the stock market. It's just constantly moving if that's what the stock market does. Todd, I have a story which is the kind of story that you and I've talked about before that is so heartwarming, but it makes me mad at my own dog whom I love so much because she just would never do this for me. A brave dog saved an injured hiker from hypothermia by laying on him for 13 hours. This is by some guy named Todd Perry. It ran on Thursday. So, uh, this guy, Greg, Berchik, and I hope I'm saying that right. No, Gerga Berchik, uh, was climbing the highest peak in Croatia. Uh, it's peak Velibit mountain. Sorry. It was, he was climbing a high peak in Croatia in the Velibit mountain range. He fell nearly 500 feet, fractured his leg and was immobile. His companion North, an eight month old Alaskan Malamute puppy, laid on top of him for 13 hours. And when rescuers came, North still wouldn't uh, leave his owner's side. And by the way, they're all fine now. Alaskan Malamutes, based on the kind of coat they have, they can survive in temperatures and like be okay in negative 20 degrees. Um there's just a lot to contend with in this story. Again, my dog would never do this. Like, I'll, I'll be like, oh, it's so comfortable having her snuggled up against me. And then it's like she senses that I'm thinking that, and she goes, that's enough for you, and then just gets up, walks away. Also, this dog was a puppy. <laughs> Puppies true. never do what you want, and this puppy knew. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I didn't think about the puppy aspect mm-hmm. when I wrote the story. I just thought about the amazing like dog knows that I'm freezing and I'm gonna die and decides to use all of its body warmth to keep me right. alive. But right. for
0: I mean, an eight month old so it wouldn't look like a puppy, but that's still very puppyish.
1: Yeah, I'm sure if it walks around it's all floppy and cute and has <laughs> right. like huge malamute paws that are still yes. on a smaller oh, now I want one. Like I wouldn't have to pay my heating bill, which is, you know, somewhat excessive. <laughs> uh give, I have a lot of single pane windows in my house, okay? It's it's got so, it. house draft, con- draft city. Constantly freezing. I just have this sucker lay on me while I'm watching Netflix and hold on for dear life all night.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, your wife would be SOL, but you'd be warm. I'm, you know, I'm thinking that
1: also my dog is the same way and my fat Jack Russell terrorist has put on a certain amount of weight so there is some blubber that, <laughs> that he could, you know, that he could probably keep me anu- a- alive for at least 3 to 4 hours.
0: <laughs> that is not the same as 13 hours at the bottom of Mount Velebit. Velebit?
1: Yeah. Velebit? Yeah, no, if I just was at the bottom of the Sierra Nevadas or whatever that mountain range is over at, by Orange, you know, if I was I was or the foothills, right. the foothills yeah. over by Pasadena, Burbank, Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, if I was if I fell down there on a on a leisurely hike and it would then and it was like, I don't know, it was really cold in L.A. It was like, you know, 58 degrees, then maybe my terrier could lay on me. We get something going. But I just I feel like if I died in my house, like if I had a heart attack, he would just as soon as possible, he would start eating me. Yeah,
0: I don't get a lot of loyalty from Wendy. Occasionally, she will position herself. Like if I'm putting Owen to bed, sometimes I'll walk out of Owen's room and she's sitting with her like her butt in front of the door and she's faced out. And I think to myself, oh, how sweet. She's kind of protecting us. But I don't, I mean, there's a lot of projection happening there. I want that to be what she's doing. I don't know if that's really what she's doing. I want a dog that's like Lassie or whatever the modern version of Lassie is. What's the modern version?
1: Rin Tin Tin. (laughs) Yes! So somebody predicted that Colts will make a huge comeback in 2022, sparking a funny debate. Mm. And this is by Todd Perry. Things have definitely taken a turn for the weird in America over the past few years, so much that I've had many a morning where I wake up with the John Lennon song, Nobody Told Me, stuck in my head. Strange days indeed. Most peculiar, Mama, as he sang, on his posthumous hit. (laughs) There's been political unrest, ecological disasters, that weird monolith that popped up in Utah, and super credible-looking UFO videos. And, oh, yeah, there's a pandemic going on. The sheer absurdity of it all prompted comedian Caleb Heron to tweet. Oh, I
0: love him. He's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: To tweet, I think cults are about to have a huge comeback. And a lot of people agreed with him. Uh, A bunch of people on Twitter. uh, One guy wrote, it would be great if there was some kind of directory so we could pick the cult that's right for us. And uh, another wrote, Ready to join. Cult leaders, hit me up. I'm lonely, desperate, and wealthy. (laughs) And then another asked, you think any legacy cults are mounting a comeback or are we talking new players? So Mm. I I love this idea that I think that that's the next step. I mean, QAnon is kind of a cultish type of thing.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of cult-like groups among us, a lot of cult-like thinking. Yeah. I mean, and, and the funny yeah. thing is, like, they think both sides think the, thinks the other one is a cult. There's like a the people who are pro vaccine, of which I am one. We think that the reason you're anti vaccine is because of like that's like basically a cult. And then they think we're in a cult, a science cult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of people just going around worshiping Richard Dawkins and uh, Anthony <laughs> Fauci. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, Yeah. And again, you have the QAnon thing. You have a lot of people, I think, are latching on to really extreme ideas and making them part of their identity. Mm -hmm. And somebody said, I don't know if this is true or not, but it, it feels right, that there's been a lack of kind of religion in this country. Like the amount of people who are religious is becoming smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. And that gave people a, a real sense of kind of identity and purpose and moral beliefs and all these things. Like a framework, yeah. Yeah, and as science has kind of moved along and people are starting to not really buy into the religion, they're trying to replace it with other things. Humans need these other types of things. So people get really fanatical about, like, football, right? Mm-hmm. They become, like, super fans. Like, they buy Las Vegas Raiders season tickets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, pe-
0: and fly out there in the midst of a pandemic repeatedly.
1: Hey, you you have to be vaxed. You have to be part of the cult of vaccination to get into the cult okay. of the Raider Nation. Okay, right. so it's it's so they're sick.
0: catering to cult members then.
1: That that's right. They're doubling up, um, and and then also you know people with politics they get super super yes. in, into politics and their personal identity uh, is is political. So if a, a rise in cults and certain cults can really tap into this vibrant marketplace of rudderless, passionate people. And so I was thinking, Allison, you know, if this is happening and you want to get on the cult train, like what type of cult would you be interested mm-hmm. in joining?
0: Gosh. So if we're like loosening up the definition of cults so much, I mean, my, I have a couple answers. Truly, what has replaced religion for me, not that I was never religious, but like my own religion, basically my philosophy is just like psych- psychiatry. Like mm. that's sort of the 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 ordering mechanism for which I understand reality. I think. OK. Psychology, psych- that, that field, that belief system. Um, but, you know. Don't be shocked or scandalized, but I watched what was it called? The, the thing about Nexium, The Vow and uh there was you know with Keith Raniere did you watch this what was this it was called The Vow it was on HBO it was about a year ago and it was about the Nexium, and it's spelled N-X-I-V-M cult and Allison Mack from Smallville uh was one of the members and there was this guy Keith Raniere and he would make everyone play volleyball at 3 a.m oh, that sounds um fun. it's a real cult it's it's not a fun cult it's a real one. Oh. um and then it turned out they would have to like, there was, there were all these, there was like these secret levels within it and they had to get a, I mean, it was like awful, but before it got really demented and, and sexual and awful, there was some levels of it where I was like, I can see the appeal. Like that sounds pretty good. And I would like to know what are my stumbling blocks? I would like to have these moments of really, you know, figuring it out. I would like to experience that kind of success i would like the camaraderie so i'm going <laughs> to join that cult i think it's gone but if anyone brings it back i'm in
1: yeah they say that w- when i was doing my research for this article they say that w- within the the cult when people get eased in it, it mm. all starts as the fun stuff is up front it's like oh yeah. i'm enjoying myself and then people are love bombing you and all the good stuff yes
0: i want to be bombed with love but then you that know sounds great
1: uh, in, in thinking about this topic, I uh I realized that you are not a cult follower.
0: Well, I feel like that's true. You? You are, mean because all you people who like that Mariah Carey song are in a cult? You are a cult leader.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I was like looking at this and I was like the cult of Allison is real. <gasps> Okay, like oh. you, you've you've Music got to my ears. You've got one podcast where you sit and you talk like nine people at a time, right? That are all, you know, loving them some Allison. Okay, like a, a Wu Tang Clan group of people sitting there. I mean,
0: it's like four or five, but I hear what you're saying. Okay, you've you've got it like a court. You're holding court, right? <laughs> right there. I let them talk too, but
1: yes. Okay, you've got uh, you've got followers. <laughs> You've got subscribers. (laughs) You've got some people who give you money for you to show them the next level of Allison.
0: It's true. My Patreon.
1: Uh, And I hear that your husband was originally a fan. That's actually true. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. There's actually... (laughs) I just learned this. There's a
0: podcast about your podcasts. This is this is true. And it's positive. It's not like it's not a takedown of the cult of Allison. It's part of the cult of Allison.
1: That's oh, the next podcast could be about (laughs) like, you know, you know, an investigative thing into the cult of Mm -hmm. Allison, but I'm sure you don't want people to pry that closely.
0: No, but that the podcast that's about my podcast, they are having an Allison Rosen weekend coming up.
1: Oh, what is that? Is
0: they get together? And I mean, they've become friends. It's, I love, I love that my, I love that the community around my show, like they have become true lifelong friends. Some of them have become true lifelong friends with each other. Um, Oh, real quick. But anyway, they get together and they record their podcast in person and then they do all sorts of activities. (laughs) It sounds silly to, to repeat. Um, But, you know, like. Like, I like to eat weird snacks and, and put weird combinations of things. So, sometimes they'll try the things that I talk about on the show, and it'll just be like, you know, like an Allison-style lunch. Does any of it involve Kool-Aid? Like, I like putting <laughs> Not this... yet.
1: Not yet. Now, now, the next point is, also, would you say these people who are, quote, friends, would you also say maybe they're like a family? There's a family-like aspect
0: to it, sure.
1: Good, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> um so so then i'm like all right allison there must be some kind of end goal to all this right like um you know your followers those who follow you obviously you have the casual followers who you know lukewarm probably first in the fire uh then you got you got the patrons you got the people who are doing the show and obviously there's some kind of promised land that you are mm-hmm. all arrive at if they right. try your snacky snacks and and everything like that. Or you might be gearing them up to fight in a, you know, there might be a, a race war coming that you guys all need to go fight. Helter sure, Skelter. Yeah. That's
0: the highest level of my Patreon. They, Is it, they I, I send them uh, weapons. If, uh, this sounds, I feel like it's illegal for me to even be joking about this. Well, it's all recorded. <laughs> <We have> it. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. No, we're just about love. And I know that that has been abused by some people, too. But we're really just a friendly group of people who enjoy my podcast. Hmm.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: right. It's time to rate your week. Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world. Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com.
1: All right, Allison, rate your week one through five.
0: Okay. Um, The weeks are kind of all blending, but I'm going to give my week a Uh, 3.5. I've been a little bit cranky lately. The kind of crankiness where I am like, there's nothing really wrong. So why do I feel this? Uh, But I feel better today. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a three point five. You know, it's the beginning of the year, which holds promise, but it's also like I love the holidays so much, so now I'm not experiencing them. It's a bit of a letdown. Uh and then also I forget if I mentioned this on our last show or not. Um, but my family was sick for like two and a half to three weeks. Oh yeah, but yeah. not COVID. It was, we took so many tests, but still everyone was like down and out. And that was kind of a bummer. So I think there's a little bit of disappointment left over for like, we had all these hopes for the holidays and instead we were just like home coughing and blowing our noses.
1: Oh, at first I thought you thought it wasn't a bummer that you, you thought it was a bummer that you didn't get COVID. Like
0: we took so many (laughs) tests.
1: (laughs) <laughs> it's
0: not a... No. No, I do know people like that, though, who are like, I think I just want to get it and get it over with. And I think to myself, I don't know that that's the attitude to have because I don't know how much that immunity is going to protect you for the next variant. But um, no. I mean, it was just a bummer not feeling well for so long.
1: Right. As, as Dennis Prager would say, it's good to have natural immunity. <laughs>
0: I don't think natural immunity lasts as long as old D. Prague thinks it does.
1: Are you a better person than you were last week?
0: I think I am. Tell me if you have this feeling about reconnecting with people that you knew at earlier times of your life. So I had this guy on my podcast. His name is Dalton Ross. He's an executive editor at large at Entertainment Weekly. And this is someone that I knew. We 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 were trying to figure out when did we first meet when I was 19 because he had a fanzine about music and he worked at a record label and I was a music journalist and we became friends uh, and then we kept in touch for years and then we kind of lost touch with each other and then we just recently reconnected and I invited him on the show and it was just so much fun to catch up with someone. I mean, first of all, just to hear of everything he's done, but then also this, it's like a human photo album in a way to reconnect with someone who who knew you at at like such an earlier stage of your life for me at least to sort of be reminded of like oh yeah these things that feel like lifetimes ago those really existed that really happened i don't know i always feel like reconnecting with with and maybe again back to that self tedious self-centered thing maybe this is like uh, about me but I feel like reconnecting with people from earlier parts of my life kind of like it, it reconnects me to earlier iterations of me as well. And I think that all of that helps growth. And uh, what about you, Todd? How was your week?
1: Uh, I'm going to give my week a four, actually. Well,
0: that's pretty good.
1: Uh, yeah, that's because this week I got to go to Disneyland Ooh. with my, uh, my good friend Mark Chambers, who I did the podcast Low Budget FM with and uh, the original Kings of Podcasting. Uh, for those of you listen to the show who came through my window, uh, and I got to see Mark, and he's been living in London for a few years, so it was the first time I could reconnect with a close friend, and we did it at Disneyland, which was totally fun. Uh, and and it's obviously weird, COVID Disneyland, because like mm-hmm. you know, indoor mask, and you're a little uncomfortable being around lots of people, and the bit. But it, altogether, I had a good time, and it's like okay, if I was in a big crowd of people, I threw the mask on. Uh, if I had some space around me, then I would, you know, bare face to the world. Look, look, people <laughs> see my teeth, you know, see my lips, see this <laughs> nose, see this beautiful nose. Um, <laughs> and so that was cool. Uh, the one thing is, though, that Disneyland these days, they've gone all in on tech. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain moment where there's four of us standing around staring at one guy's app trying to order beers when when. There's, oh, yeah. When there's no line at. <laughs> at the bar and someone just standing there and it, it becomes like oh you have to make a reservation for this and then mm-hmm. return it this time and then the genie's saying go ride the poo ride right now and it becomes <laughs> like you become even more of a slave like pretty soon Mickey's gonna start tweeting at you you know <laughs> like, at a certain point you become kind of a slave to the, the phone when you're there when I kind of wanted it away from all that mm-hmm. you know I want a day where I'm not looking at my phone I want to turn it off you know leave it in the car and just enjoy the immersion and the magic of Disney and I feel that having to keep staring at my phone takes me out of that so what if
0: someone doesn't what if someone doesn't have a phone are they able to still go to Disneyland at this point
1: no they're just walking past everybody who's staring at their phone and doing things (laughs) and enjoying themselves
0: And and then Todd are you a better person
1: No, uh, I'm not, (laughs) because this is not the time to become a better person. This is like a whole slog of the mushy holidays where your schedule is all off. You're just constantly going from this social engagement to that one. You're overeating. You're over drinking. You're over serving yourself. um, And you're just trying to connect with friends and family members and and, and run through this whole time. So when people make New Year's resolutions, I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make like January 8th resolutions or whatever oh, that's like, smart i feel like the monday after all the holidays and like my wife and kid are back at school and work and then i'm gonna take a long long shower on monday and mm. then i'm gonna take a, a cold cold look at myself you know like in the way <laughs> right. richard Freezing. nixon looks in the mirror and addresses himself he's cold he's not emotional Mm -hmm. where am i what's happening what's the real politic happening here so and and then that's when i go forward with trying to put together some kind of big uh change and set the agenda for this year that i will completely abandon in 48 hours
0: do you want some pointers on areas where there's room for improvement oh i feel like you have a list made already (laughs) (laughs) upworthy weekly at upworthy.com let todd and i'm just kidding you know i'm just kidding i think your taste in christmas music is weird but whatever uh were you gonna say something nope (laughs) so uh our last story U.S. company permanently adopts four-day work week after promising trial, quote, we're never going back. And this is by Jissa Joseph, and it ran on Friday. So Bolt, which is a tech company up in San Francisco, they did a three-month trial of a four-day work week. And at the end, they found heightened productivity, engagement, and wellness. And I wonder how you uh, measure engagement and wellness. But still, um, they surveyed their team after 94% were in favor of continuing at the four day work week. 86% were more efficient with their time. 85% of managers are able to hit OKRs. Do you know what OKRs are?
1: Probably some kind of, I was like K values or I don't know, kind of operational results, I guess.
0: That sounds right. Yeah. Operational K results. Let's go with that. Operational K result. I don't even know how my operational K results are. I need to get an E meter, an OKR meter. Eighty-four percent say they have an improved work-life balance. Eighty-four percent are more productive at work, and eighty percent have eliminated unnecessary meetings. That was a big thing in moving toward the four-hour, four-day. Excuse me, four-hour work week is something else. Um, the four-day work week is eliminating um, all the time that people spend in unnecessary meetings. And then in this story as well, uh, Justa Joseph talked about work theater. So, this is like the idea that so much time at work is not spent efficiently. You're not actually working. You're doing things to make you make yourself look busy mm-hmm. and appear busy to your bosses. So, if we could just like get rid of that and just do the pure efficient work, <clears throat> we could get it done in 4 days. It's it's weird how you have your regular work pace, but then if you have to do extra, you can.
1: Yeah. It's yeah, when you kind of put the stick of more time off out there people mm-hmm. work harder which is kind of funny like they'll
0: work hard to work less right you know and I think that with all the work that people are doing at home in this pandemic you know from from stories I've read there was this idea at the beginning that productivity is going to drop off but what a lot of companies are finding especially companies that have announced like we're never making you come back to the office um remarkably productivity is not dropping off companies are doing well letting their employees stay at home and like I know for my husband the one with the anvil hanging over his head whose personal business I disclosed at the beginning of the show um you know he had quite a commute before so he would be spending an hour and a half to two hours in traffic every day not having that has done wonders for his mood and the amount of time he can work
1: yeah and you're not tired when you come into the office and i find that i've always like i've been work- i would i've been working from home since before it was cool um uh, <laughs>
0: you invented it
1: yeah i was the first person actually so i, I ain't leaving. you know <laughs> but i actually I, I felt i worked harder because i didn't want someone to say oh look you're slacking off you have to mm-hmm. come back into the office or you need to be supervised like i won the right to prove that i didn't need anybody watching me and then i'd be fine at what i do right um so i i I like this idea of the four-day work week, and if people can be just as productive, you know, why, why work extra? And I like the idea that companies are going towards a better work-life balance, where, where people – I think when, when whole companies do this, it changes the attitude around it, where some people, they don't want to be known for not wanting to have a good work ethic especially in America <laughs> where work ethic is like everything when people yes. from other countries come here they're like whoa you, you guys are way too into working and nobody wants to be seen as the guy with the poor work ethic in a company you know so when people when people collectively come to these understandings then people will be more apt to say hey look i think i can do things in 4 days or i yeah. think it's fine that maybe i see my wife and children an extra day of the week or
0: mm-hmm. Right. Do but, you, uh, and I'm going to guess you don't, but maybe your wife does. Watch the show Emily in Paris. Do you know it?
1: Oh, my wife loves that show.
0: Have you ever seen it? No. Okay. So uh, it's, look, I can't defend it as a good show, but it's very watchable and entertaining. And I'm sad that, season, that I already worked my way through season two. But anyway, she's uh, you know, from Chicago. She's now in Paris. And they have this running joke of like, oh, don't work on the weekends, it's illegal. And I guess there actually is. I think it, there's some law in France where, like, you are not allowed to work on the weekends, to expect your employees to respond to emails on the weekends.
1: Yeah, we had a really big hit story on Upworthy with that a couple years ago when, when we kind of we brought this story over to the American audience. People were like, oh, my God, that's incredible. I'd like to thank everybody for listening to the Upworthy Weekly podcast. Please, uh, if you haven't, subscribe on everywhere you get, you get podcasts. And leave us a review. It only takes mm-hmm. a, a short moment of your time, and you can leave us a review, and uh, that does a lot to keep us on the top of the uh, Apple charts so people keep finding us and going, oh, wow, Upworthy has a podcast, Oh, or do I subscribe to Dan Bongino and Ben Shapiro, or do I go to Upworthy Weekly? Yeah. Come, then- over,
0: come over to the Upworthy site. And also, I just discovered that on Spotify, you can rate podcasts as well. So if you're listening there, give us a nice rating.
1: I'd like to thank Allison Rosen. I will talk to you next week. Have a great week, and I hope you get that 3.5 up to a 4, okay?
0: Thank you. Upworthy Weekly was
1: produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy.
0: Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com.
1: I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.